Lord, we thank you and praise you that you're a God who heals. And just on, as on Pentecost Sunday, you come all of a sudden. Even though we've spent time expecting you, we don't actually know when you'll come. But we thank you, Lord, that you come all of a sudden, and we just pray that you would heal the Coe family of COVID, protect them right now in Jesus' name. Would they feel the warmth of the Savior right now? We pray for everyone getting on a plane right now to Kenya. We pray for your protection. We don't actually take for granted that we get to see another day. We're not so oblivious to life that we think that that another day is going to happen no matter what. So we thank you for, the, for life. We thank you for the fact that we can breathe right now. Thank you for our loved ones. We thank you, Lord, that when we go out to do the thing that we were called to do, we are actually safest. We are the most safe. So we bless you. We thank you for this uh, beautiful Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Ko is sick, so I mean, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Big shoes to fill. I have a group of friends, uh, and I don't know how to say this delicately, but they're a group of friends that they're not Christian. They, I kind of grew up with them, and they, uh, without getting my permission, they just invite me into all of these WhatsApp groups. And let's just say this, the content that they share is, uh, how do I say this at church? It's not so edifying. Okay, the content that we that they that they share in this group, it's a lot of jokes. You know, most of them are 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 fine, but there's a lot of um, political commentary, uh, satire, sports, music, and they make me a part of this conversation. And they know that I am famous for not watching or listening to anything that they send me. They'll be having conversations, and I have disregarded most of it. But I've given them a a clause that twice a year, if they write, Rajiv, you have to watch this, then I'll, I'll engage with it. The problem is they started overusing that, so we had to say twice a year. Twice a year, if you 100%, like, I can't miss what you're sending me, then I'll, then I'll engage with it. Now, the thing is, they're all very intelligent. They're way smarter than me. They have combined degrees that I don't even know the names of. And then there's me. And I try to engage with them as much as possible. And one time, they, they, they sent me something that was 90 minutes long, and it was a podcast. This is right at the beginning of COVID. I had never heard a podcast in my life because I didn't think it would be entertaining to listen to people talk about things. And But when COVID hit, that's kind of all everyone was doing. So they sent me a podcast, and it was 90 minutes long. And the first thing, and they gave me the thing, you have to listen to this. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to spend 90 minutes listen. And by the way, most of them don't have kids and are not married, so therefore they don't understand. And so uh, 90 minutes, and, and all of them, like one, two, three, they just said, oh, just double time it. I said, what is double time? And this is the thing that changed my life. 
You guys know this feature? It's on YouTube. It's on Vimeo. It's on podcasts. You just put that two times thing. Now, they sound like a chipmunk when they're talking. But see, I'm a rap artist, and so when people talk fast, like it's really easy for me to digest information. So this double time thing became an amazing uh, tool that I use. I'm taking classes at Fuller, and I double time everything. Everything, we get like four hours of lecture a, 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 a week, and then that just gets, that gets shrunk down to two hours, or sometimes an hour and a half. It's amazing. Now, the problem is that once I started double timing everything, ev- I mean everything, it's almost like when people are talking in a normal speed, it's like they're slowing down to me now because I'm so used to quick, quick, quick information that if, for example, our professor sends something on a program that doesn't have the double time feature, it makes me grossly impatient and it makes me feel like they're talking in slow motion. And this is the thing in me and I think the thing in all of us that likes to be efficient It's the thing that makes us consolidate and multitask almost everything that we do, right? Especially those of you with families, those of you with multiple competing uh, responsibilities, we like to consolidate everything. The problem when we consolidate things is we lose so much of its essence. And then we we start to lose our desire to slow down and actually be consolidant. Now, consolidation sometimes works to our favor. You know, in the business world, for example, we have a, we have a preschool, and so we have a director, but she serves a dual role because she's also a really good teacher. Now, sometimes directors should just direct, but she... Uh, also fills in the role of a teacher, so we actually consolidate her position, and she does both. In my particular job, I, I, I work uh, at Lake Avenue Church, and when I came into our, um, when I interviewed for the position, it was for one position, but I think they liked my skill set, so they actually took two paid positions, and they put it together so that they got me for a lower rate, <laughs> because they put two positions together. Then, over the last three years, I had five people on my team, three of them left, and what do you think they did with those three other positions? It came to me. And the idea is that we think, we think that by consolidating uh, responsibilities, by consolidating positions, by consolidating our life, it actually makes things better and more effective and efficient, but in reality, it does not. Sometimes at work, I don't even know what I'm doing. In fact, I don't even know who I am. Because if you continue to wear multiple hats, you kind of lose who you are, right? Now, I'm not saying this is a wrong thing. I'm just saying it's something to watch for. And it's very interesting because on Pentecost Sunday, just before the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see the opposite of consolidation. And so I'd like to turn to our text today. It's in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 to 26. And just to give you context, Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit at the beginning of chapter 1, and then they all see him go up into heaven. 
And then something very interesting happens. It's a detail that, quite frankly, I have always thought was irrelevant. But it's right before the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's right before that Pentecost day. Acts 1 verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. It's amazing that Judas was actually given a share a divine share in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate and let there be no one to live in it and let another take his possession of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the end when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. Because remember, they were going to now witness everything that God had done. Verse 23, so they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. The first question that came to me is, why in the world would you add someone to repl- just to get 12? Like, if you had a team of, let's say, 12 people that you got volunteers and said, we want to paint this part of the church, and one of them couldn't make it, you'll just be like, well, I got 11, right? You take maybe what the responsibility was for the 12th person and you just mix it all in with the 11 and you're fine. And I think it's very interesting that this detail is mentioned right before the coming of the Holy Spirit. That that Peter, who has the Spirit in him but hasn't experienced the fullness of it, he remembers in Psalms where it says, let his homestead become desolate and let no one... No, let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So Peter references that via the Holy Spirit and says Judas has to be replaced. And the particularity of that is very interesting, and I feel like God has something to say to that. Here you have Judas, their brother, who basically did the most treacherous act Maybe in human history, right? I don't think that would be a hyperbole to say that. He did the most heinous thing by, by um, going behind the back of the disciples and Jesus that would eventually crucify the God of the world. 
But verse 17 says Judas was actually numbered and that he actually had a portion in ministry. What that tells me is this. God had appointed a portion of ministry, something for each disciple to do. And when one person disobeyed, that person had to be replaced. That means that the portion of ministry was very important. To to have your share of the ministry was extremely important. You couldn't just sweep it under the rug. And you couldn't just consolidate it with the other 11. He had a portion of ministry, and it had to be fulfilled. And this is all before Pentecost. And what is it about this? See, most of us, we would think that the the ministry conforms to the gifting of the person, right? We, We tend to think of our life as this is who we are created to be. Therefore, the thing that I do, the thing that I actually accomplish in life has to match my skill sets, has to match who I am my dreams, my ambition, how God crafted me to be. And while that might sometimes be true, I'm thinking about Matthias here. This guy, this guy happened to be there the whole time. There was, there was a criteria that Peter mentions. He says, whoever we choose, guys, that person has had to be there from the time of Jesus' baptism all the way until we saw him ascend. That was the criteria. And then they chose two people. And then they cast lots, and they chose Matthias. Now, I wonder what Matthias was thinking. Was he thinking, well, am I suited for this? Is this going to fulfill my dreams, my ambition, the very thing that I was created to, to do? No. Actually, there was a position that had to be filled. There was a position that was there, and he had to shape to the position. The position does not shape to you. See, God has things for you and I to actually do. But the problem is we try to take our share of the portion by making it perfectly suitable to us. And I believe that when we want to experience the power of God, we actually have to be molded to what's available, to what actually has to be done. And I know that we don't like to talk about that in America because we're the center of our dreams. We're the center of the promises. We're the center of everything. But the power of God could only be manifest if the position that was required by God that maybe you and I don't understand and maybe you and I don't um, Maybe you and I won't feel like we could be all we can be in that position, right? Maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's not the case going on with our, in our spirit and in our mind, but the position has to be filled. And what is it? You know, when I think of a bad, when I think of something that's sour in my mouth like a Judas, My first reaction is not to replace that thing. My first reaction is to stop talking about it. Things that are uncomfortable in your life, that have taken plant in your life, we don't actually naturally look for a replacement. We actually just put it aside and try to move on with whatever else we have. And I want to say this to you, that these disciples... 
even though Judas did something so evil, if I put myself in the, in the shoes of the disciples, they were probably grieving the fact that their brother did something so terrible and that he was no longer there. And so there are things in our life before we are to experience the power of God that we actually have to replace, that we actually can't just sweep under the rug, but we have to experience God in that very place. You know, recently, I made my last, my seventh album. It's what I'm calling my final album. And just before, just before this album in the past, I was working with a group of people in the music industry that I thought was God's answer to everything I had been looking for in the last 10, 15 years. And, I ha- and these group of people were so talented that when they, when they took an interest in what I was doing, I just got caught up in it. I got caught up in it because everything they were gifted at was something that even on my greatest day, I couldn't do. And so I, they, 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 we both, I'm not blaming any parties, but what happened was I started to become manipulated by anything that they would say. And it's interesting because I don't have a personality that gets manipulated, if you know me. That doesn't, that's never happened before. For the first time in my life, I experienced being manipulated and I couldn't get out of it. Because what they had was something that I so desperately wanted. And, I, and what I felt that I so desperately needed. And the people in my life that I value their counsel didn't really tell me these are, this is a terrible situation. But I could tell that they were uncomfortable with it. And I could sense other people's discomfort with my fascination with a group of people. And what happened was, I don't want to say too much, but what happened was I got cheated out of some financial stuff. I was completely disrespected by these people to the point where we just naturally separated. And I remember going through one year of questioning whether I could ever do things at that level again. And, and the thing about it is this. It would have been really easy for me to sweep it under the rug. But what I actually needed was I needed God to answer that very space. And I needed his power to come in such a way that would give me a replacement. I needed a replacement. I couldn't just shove it under the rug. And a long story short, I got that replacement and more. Because when you work for God, people are not the answer. People can be a part of what God is doing, but human beings will never be the answer, ever. And I didn't actually know that I would be a person that could be manipulated. And that was a very sobering thing for me and a place for me to ask God, okay, give me more wisdom. Give me more discernment. See, Judas left a position that had to be filled. 
And God, in his wisdom, he dreamt of the 12 disciples. He dreamt of the portion of ministry for each single disciple. And God will not allow things to move forward until his purposes are fully met. Even if it's not met by the person he originally designed it, designed for it to be met by, he will get someone else to do it. And maybe some of you just need to realize two things. I think there's two types of ways this may be hitting us today. See, one one way is we might just be the disciples where we need some, we, need, we have something that has to be fulfilled. There's a void in our life that has to be fulfilled. And we haven't really been looking to God to fulfill that. We've just been avoiding it. And so maybe you're like the disciples. You're waiting for something to be replaced. And I want to say to you that God is going to replace that thing. Or maybe you're like Matthias. And you know what? You're just available. You were there from day one. You were there, you were there uh, all along, but for some reason, your time hasn't come yet to where the whole purpose of your being is waiting for this one moment. But see, you're always looking, you're always looking for this moment to come via your own talents and your own desires and your own whatever for, for, you know, like you guys read the alchemist, like this weird idea that the universe will move to your gifting. And I want to say to you that maybe some of that is true and some of the sentiment is true, but what's truer is that actually God has appointed when he made you in your mother's womb something for you to actually do. And that thing is more important than your, your tiny ideas of how you should be used. There is a position, there is a share of ministry that you actually have. But you might not be feeling it because you're always looking at it via yourself. And I want to propose to you, you that might be Matthias. You that might be Matthias. When you are called on, will you be okay to fulfill the portion of ministry that God has for you? Or will you only look at things that vibe with you, as the millennials like to say? Only things that you that that feels it fits your energy. Guess what? The power of God doesn't come that way. The power of God comes when you submit to His will upon your life. Everybody quotes the alchemist. I did too, and I do too. I think there's beautiful truths to finding your way. But God's power is much different. What are the things in your life that need to be replaced versus allowing that void there? You know, when you feel a void, it's usually because you actually have healthy needs. But the problem comes is when you supply the healthy needs when unhealthy people and unhealthy things. So you actually need love, affirmation, a team. You need all those things. It's not bad for you to need that. You just have to, you have to fill it with God's way. 
And God's way sometimes is more inconvenient and it takes a long time. Or it could be sooner than you think. I like those times. I want to say to you that that redemption will never be something where God looks at mess and kind of takes one eye off of it and pretends like it doesn't exist. Redemption in your life today will always be something that that the Holy Spirit will look at and change it for your good because he loves you. But it's never going to come by him just kind of going like this and pretending like it doesn't exist. And there are things for some of us today that we've pretended for far too long that it exists, that it doesn't exist because we think that's the way it's going to go, leave us. It could be a particular struggle, a sin that we struggle with. It could be a bondage of a relationship. It could be the way that we even look at God. And today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, no, I see it. And it's not big enough. It's not, it's not big enough for me. I will swallow it for you. And I will replace it for you. If, if Matthias lived in our context, what would his book be? What would his testimony be? I mean, the poor guy, he just got called up. You know, he didn't do a strength finders test. He didn't figure out his Myers-Briggs or whatever, and those things are great. Those things are helpful. The Enneagram. He didn't figure out, hmm, like, I'm an eight, so I wonder if this, if to be the 12th disciple, I should, I should, does this, does this vibe with my vibe? <laughs> Can't stand that word, by the way. But does it vibe with my energy? No. He was more He was more moved by the fact that the position was available. And perhaps everything that he's ever wanted would actually happen if he fulfilled that 12th seat. And we'll talk more about this later. We can spend our entire life creating and imagining. And I I, got to confess, this is a very, very hard word for me as well. Because I'm an artist, I'm an entrepreneur, and I live in the space of creating and imagining and seeing things being brought from zero to one and not just waiting for God to do everything for me, but for me to actually engage with it. But we can spend our whole life doing that. And if it's not in bounds of the description that God actually has for you, you will be chasing the wind. Vanity among vanities. You will be chasing the wind if that which you are searching for and pursuing is not within God's description for your life. And I know that our language fails us here, okay? Because I know that even when I'm saying that, I, I, I hear the other voice that says, okay, then, well, it doesn't matter what you do. Because you could just, if God has a description for my life, then I'll just wait until that comes and then I'll go and join it, right? But actually the way of God is this, the way of the Holy Spirit is this. The way that you determine your life's best work is by just coming to Jesus and getting to know him. You don't arrive at God's work for your life by figuring out that there's a description and then you go under that description. That's not how you find your calling. 
We find that the Christianity is mind-blowing because we only know what to do if we get to know Jesus. We don't even have to know what to do because the Holy Spirit comes all of a sudden. That's what Pentecost Sunday is about. We don't actually have to know what it is that our job description actually is. We just have to get to know the, the, the person of Jesus. And the closer that we're willing to do that, we will experience joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in a way that makes all other joys laughable. Let's go on in this theme and um, in Philippians chapter 4. You guys know Philippians 4.13 is the banner for pretty much every Christian athlete or even Christian artist or musician or businessman. You guys know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, right? Steph Curry even has it. He writes it on his shoe before every game. I love it. I love that. I just have an issue with it. (laughs) We're going to talk about it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 14. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is, ha- what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. So Paul is saying, hey, I, th- I feel loved by the fact that you guys want to give me a gift and that you guys are generous and that you care about me in chains, right? You care about me. But he's saying, I just want to let you know that I have learned the secret to what it means to be content in every circumstance that God has actually placed me in. And it's in that context that he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't take, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me and applies it to every one of his ambitions. That's actually not what Paul is saying. Even though it is true that whatever you do in life, it is Christ who strengthens you. In the context of Philippians 4, he's, what he's actually saying is, it could read more like, Whatever God threw at me, I can endure it. Does that make sense? Whatever context that God gave me, I can endure it. Wherever God has placed me, sometimes I'm hungry, sometimes I'm full, sometimes I'm wealthy, sometimes I'm poor. Whatever God throws at you, I am content. That is is the starting point of the strength that he gets by learning to move in every avenue. Now, the, bat- the, 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 the battle cry 
in our current generation is we pull this out of context to make it some kind of Gatorade for anything that we want to do. But it's actually much more radical than that. It's much more radical than that. What he's saying is no matter what situation that I'm in that God has destined for my life, I, will, I can actually do it. I, I can endure. I will have the strength to make it. That's different because most of us, when we're in an uncomfortable situation, we'll just try and pray to get out of it. And what Paul is saying is, I can do anything that God gives me because I know that something beautiful will happen right there. While it's true that God gives you strength to do anything, he wants to give you strength to do his thing. He wants to give you strength to do his thing. I actually think that right now, we kind of have to determine whether you believe or not that God actually, when he made you, that he actually made you so much so, and he knows everything about you, that he actually has a task and a job description, and I use the word job not in the way we think, a life description for your life. Because if you don't believe that, you will spend your whole life striving for things that it will feel like you're chasing after the wind. It will feel like the things that you're doing have no meaning. And today, on this Pentecost Sunday, I wonder if God wants to adjust our framework just slightly to believe and to understand that he has a context for your life. In the way that he knows your name, he also knows your job. He knows what you're supposed to do. He has an allotted position for your life. And when you're, when you're more in love with that than self-actualizing all your dreams and giftings and all that kind of stuff, that's when the power of God means something. That's when the power of God will actually happen. Because what it means is you don't actually care about yourself now. You care about the things of God. You're so captivated by the things of God to the point where you're willing to do things that maybe not even be your liking. But it is your liking. You just don't know what you like. You just don't know what you want. This is, this, is the, this is the issue. We try to arrive at the things of God by way of our desires. And guess what? Your desires are not really desires. They're a starting point. But what you really want is what God gives. And until you are converted to that, your whole life will be a chasing after the wind. You won't experience the power of God. You won't experience breakthroughs. Yes, you'll still be a Christian, but we want Pentecost, right? We want the falling of the Holy Spirit. And in order to do that, God has a structure by which he actually functions. There had to be 12 disciples. It couldn't just be 11 and then we go. There had to be 12. That position that Judas left had to be filled. Some of you today, in your land, or in your families, or in your whatever, you will have, you will have a position to be filled. If you think about this analogy, pretend you're hosting a party at your house. And it's your house. You own the house. And you love to host people at your house. And let's say, 
Let's say it's my house and Lydia and I are hosting you. And let's say Lydia says, I'll take care of all the food. Okay, I got, I, got, I got the food. I'll take care of it. 40 people are coming over. I'll cook. And she's like, Rajiv, you, you clean the house and clean, make sure the house is clean. When the people come to my house, and let's say the food is not there because the delivery man dropped all the food on the floor, am I going to say, well, it's cool. Like, my job was to clean the house. Is that, is that my response? Oh, everything, that's my, that's my description. I was supposed to clean the house. No, you will do whatever it takes to host the people in your house. So I'm going to hustle, and I'm going to go get food and come. But that wasn't my gifting. That wasn't what we agreed upon. That wasn't what we were supposed to do. Some of us act like that. You will only do that which you are inspired to do, and everything else is everybody else's Everybody else's uh, problem. And the problem is when people come to your house, you got a clean bathroom, but you have nothing to give them. You have no food to give them. See, God wants you to be a manager of everything. You have to be okay to do things that are not uh, within your liking. You are to serve humanity in whatever role is there. We've got to learn how to do that. Before you learn how to function in that convergence space in your life where all your giftings come together, you need to learn how to do things you don't like to do because that's where the power of God falls. That's where the power of God comes. And you and I want to experience the power of God. In order to do that, we have to be uncomfortable and we have to be able to serve the household in ways that maybe we don't like to do. The context of learning to be content and to not actualizing every dream you have is the place of God's strength and it's the place of God's power. I'll be honest, there have been many contexts by which I felt like a complete oddball. I didn't ever think I would be a part of a church. This, this is like the biggest miracle. The biggest miracle in my life is that I'm a part of a church. Because if you understood, <laughs> one, how I think, how I was raised, if you understood me and my natural self, a church is the last place I would associate myself with. Completely felt like an oddball. I remember my brother told me to go to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I went my freshman year at UCLA. And I vowed to never go again. It was the weirdest bunch of people I've ever seen. And I felt so out of context. And I went through, because I went to that first meeting, I went through the whole year never going back to that inner varsity fellowship. Some of you guys are laughing because you've been a part of it. <laughs> and you know how weird it gets. And something in me said, go again at the end of the year. I went at the end of the year, and it was worse than the first time I went. And I actually left earlier. I left before so that all the Christians are so nice. I didn't want to say hi to them. I ran out the door. And when I ran out the door, a, a man by the name of Jerome Maman ran after me. And if he didn't run after me, I wouldn't have met Lydia. If he didn't run after me, I wouldn't have met Pasha Ko at an inner varsity conference. 
The problem is we allow everything that is odd about our situation to dictate our future. I have felt like an oddball at this church. There have been times at the beginning of my experience at VCF where I didn't know where I would belong either. I mean, I was 21 when I came here. I was trying to be a musician, an artist. Uh, Everything I do at VCF, by the way, is like not in line with my (laughs) giftings. Like, I'm a musician, but have you ever seen me lead worship here? No. Have you, all the things that we sometimes do in this context doesn't line up with all the things that we dream of. But it's, it's in this environment that I've actually learned how to experience the miracles of God. It's in the environment that is not necessarily inspiring at first. Oh, it will get super inspiring. It will get extremely exciting. But what I'm talking about is at first. And I understand what it feels like to be in a season where you feel like you're not contributing at your highest possible potential. I used to always have this analogy, God, do anything you want with me, but make sure that before I die, you squeeze me like a lemon. I don't want one thing left here when I'm dead. I want to have been used to the utmost. And then God said, yeah, but what if I just want to use 10% of you? What now, Rajiv? Are you okay with that? What if 90% of everything you are, I want to keep to myself because I'm God and I'm that possessive over your life? What if what everybody else sees is only 10%? Are you okay with that? That's a whole different Christianity than I've ever heard in my life than, than Amer- in America. America doesn't tell me that. America told me to be all you can be. But what if God wants all you are and he'll decide when to use you. He'll just decide. And then maybe there'll be a position that opens and then you just walk there. Not based on your entrepreneurial spirit. And I'm talking to me right now. Not based on your creativity. Not based on your imagination. Not based on your independence. Maybe there's a 12th seat that has to be, that has, that, that, that has my name on it. But I would never recognize my name on that 12th seat if I go via Rajiv, the entrepreneur artist. Maybe I just have to pray and get called on. Today, God is calling on you to fulfill something beautiful. You just don't know it yet. The Holy Spirit will whisper in your times with him, and he will tell you, When you feel aimless, it's appropriate because you can only be aimed if someone is aiming you. Otherwise, you will be aimless. If you are not in touch with the creator of the universe, and if you are not okay with being in his hands, then you will be aimless. But it's only God who can aim. It's only God who can aim. And when you find yourself in his hands, he will aim you. Now, here's something I do want to say to clarify something, okay? Because I've been beating this idea (laughs) down your throat. When you 
do step into the position, the 12th seat, so to speak, that God has for you, it will actually feel hand in glove. It will actually feel like the convergence point where all your dreams, your giftings, your personality, your humor, lack or lack of, it will feel like everything is being used like it's supposed to. It will actually feel like you are being squeezed out like a lemon. It will actually feel like you will be so excited. You will feel like all your faculties are running. It will feel like that. The only thing is you just can't do it backwards. You just can't, you can't do it the other way. You can't go by that first and then find a, a, a thing, a, a, a position or a job for your life. You, kinda, you have to go with what God has for you first and you will learn to trust God in a way that doesn't trust on how you feel. Does this, does this make any form of sense? Okay, so you will feel the hand in glove. You will feel like this is what I've me- been meant to do. I just didn't know it. And the people that have the greatest vision are not the people that are so self-aware about themselves, but they're very aware of where God is. And their self-awareness is a result of what God is doing. And then they follow what God is doing, and then they learn a whole bunch about themselves. Okay? Just wanted, that was just, that's just like a disclaimer so that it makes sense. I can't believe that Judas had a portion. I, I, I can't get past the fact on this Pentecost Sunday that the man who would lead our God to crucifixion had a portion in ministry, and it was important. I just want to close today uh, at looking at the life, not the life, but a few places of Peter, because Peter is interesting. He, he, I'm proud of Peter. (laughs) Do you ever feel proud of Peter? <laughs> Your Peter and this Peter. It he this guy denied he, he denied Jesus and then he became the rock. And I think there's something beautiful about him that I notice in Acts chapter three. But before we get to Acts chapter three, let's look at when Peter was first called in Luke five. And we'll wrap up here in ten minutes. Luke five. Um, I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 4, 4 to 11. So basically, Jesus uses their boat to speak to the people. And in verse 4, he says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. Which, when they had done this, they caught so many fish that the nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And this is key, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. I want to say to you that it's not a natural reaction to just leave everything and follow Jesus. We read, we read that like it's nothing. Oh yeah, and then they just left everything and they followed him. This is the difference between a disciple and a non-disciple. I don't even know if that's a word. But here's the difference between a disciple and a non-disciple. A disciple will experience the miracle of God and it will lead them to humility and actually realizing their depravity. Because when God comes into your life, you will, you, you, and, he, and he does something like that for you, you will do exactly what Peter did. You'll be like, who am I? Now, most people, most of the world would actually experience the fish coming into the boat and that crazy thing. And you know what they would do? They'd probably say, hey, Jesus, can you come with me to that next spot next week? Maybe we can, maybe we can double the miracle. Most, the difference between a disciple and a non-disciple is a non-disciple will look at the thing that Jesus just did for them and they would see if they could replicate it over and over again somewhere else or for the next week. Are there ways that we're like that? Where God gives us, where God gives, blesses us. And then instead of that actually making us more dependent on Jesus and more willing to give it all up, we actually start to protect it. I actually experienced this. I've made, th- there were times when, when I first started to make money, you know, after college, when, I, when you don't have anything, it's just really easy to like be generous, actually, because you don't have much to give. <laughs> so I guess you don't count how generous you're being. And the more you actually have and accumulate, the more you feel like you have to hold on to what you have. And that's an inappropriate response to God's provision in your life. Because what you're actually saying is God gives you something and then you're unable and and then you want to make sure that he either doesn't take it away or it doesn't run out or whatever, however we humanly think about it. And so Peter has something in him that's beautiful in the sense that he sees the miracle and he's willing to chase after Jesus as a result. And that's what makes him a true disciple. Because he knew, he knew that he was actually powerless. Because remember, he said, Master, I have been trying all night long and nothing has happened. And because he was so in touch with his powerlessness, he knew that he could do nothing apart from Jesus. Nothing. And that starts a relationship with the vine. When God gives, it will not promote more independence in us, but it will actually make us more dependent with him. And so on Pentecost Sunday, as God gives, as God is willing to open up the heavens for you and I, it's not so that we'll actually be more independent from him but it's actually so that we'll need him more and need him for every little thing. 
in in John 15 and and we don't have to look we don't have to read it but actually let's just read it <laughs> John 15 verses 4 and 5 John 15, verse 4 and 5. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. The problem with some of Christianity today is that we think that if we fill ourselves up with enough podcasts, with enough sermons, if we're around spiritual people by way of osmosis, it'll transfer to us. And so we kind of function like we're we're a branch. We're not really in the vine. We're just hanging around the vine. But you can't hang out with the vine to bear fruit. You have to not just be around spiritually mature people. That's good. I encourage that. But that's not actually what's going to bear you fruit. That's not actually going to make your life a bigger testimony than the people that you may respect. Because the people that you respect want your life to be greater than theirs. In fact, and then you should want other people to be greater than you. You cannot be around, you cannot treat Christianity and your faith by way of osmosis that you're just going to come to Sunday service or come to prayer and something's going to happen by you just hanging out. You have to be plugged into the vine. And when you're plugged into the vine, you actually bear fruit. And I have, I have heard in many Christian circles, this idea of imago Dei, right? The image of God. We, we, we bear the image of God. We're in. So, so what it, the, 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 the argument with that is because we're, we're made in the image of God, then we can naturally do things uh, that will be godly or we naturally do things that will provide fruit. And yes, the image of God is very important. That's why we treat every single person on earth with deep equality, and we treat everybody with the utmost respect because everyone is created in the image of God. But that doesn't actually guarantee that you will walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because when sin entered into this world, it corrupted our image of God and other people and even of ourselves. And this is why we need a relationship with God to restore our understanding of the Imago Dei, of the image of God. And so when Peter, in Luke 5, sees that he is powerless, that was the beginning of his discipleship. I know that it's really hard for you and I to render ourselves powerless. I know that this, this is the stumbling block and the difference between those that experience the power of God and those that don't. It's because those that experience the power of God, the Holy Spirit's anointing on their life, have already understood that they can do nothing without God. Now the problem is, a lot of us are educated, we went to college, we see our non-Christian friends doing wonderful things, we're on WhatsApp text messages where there's doctors, lawyers, engineers, and they don't need God and they still do things. 
How do you wrestle with that? It's this. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. I want to propose something to you today. Don't look at the, the output and the something that happens without God as proof that you can do things without God. He's calling those things nothing. There might be a whole bunch of things that we're doing in our strength. There might be a whole bunch of active things that we actually see external signs of that we're doing, but the God of the universe labels it nothing. And I wonder just today how many things we're doing that's actually nothing. There's something in your estimation because you can see external manifestations of it, but Jesus is actually saying it's nothing. It's nothing. It means, I think Francis Chen quoted, it's not his quote, but I know it from Francis Chen. He said something like, the biggest, ah, what is it? The biggest disappointment is not that you will fail at the end of your life. The biggest disappointment will be that you would succeed at things that don't matter. And that is a picture of a life without the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a picture of you and I chasing pursuits, vanity upon vanities, and thinking that we've made a big life for ourselves, and thinking that all these people admire us, and all these people respect us, and at the end, it will be counted as nothing. I want us to take an inventory of our life today in the way that we approach things, in the way that we think about, think about fruit. Do an inventory of your life today and ask the Holy Spirit, what, is that that I'm, what are the things that I'm doing that amount to nothing? Very quickly, in the last two minutes, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, and I want to see how far Peter has come Acts chapter 3, just going to read the first seven verses. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. And by the way, the people that were doing that probably thought they were doing a very spiritual thing. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at, the, at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. The thing that strikes me here about Peter is he's very keyed into what the man wants. He knows exactly what this man who's lame wants. And he actually says, I don't have it, but what I do have is this. What he did have is the power of the Holy Spirit. I think 
the problem with many of us when we don't experience Pentecost Sunday, when we don't experience the fullness of God, is that we actually look to everything in our resources to address what people want in our lives. The way that we relate to people is we are after their immediate need. And that's very appropriate sometimes and very godly. But when you start to live a life that functions based on what people want, that's where we go wrong. There's a difference between catering and serving. There's a huge, there's a, it sounds similar, but it's completely different. And Peter was able to pull from within him the bolder option was actually the man's healing. He could have done the Christian duty and given him alms. But he, he, he gave him something that Peter did not, could not conjure up in his own strength. He gave him the power of God to heal. And so today, as we close, I wonder if God is calling us to decrease the reliance on ourselves, to de- decrease the reliance of all the resources that we have, even if we have it. We selectively choose out of our talents and our likability, especially our likability for the sake of the power of God. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We don't know how to turn our desires off for the sake of yours sometimes. And I pray right now that you just help us do that. And you help us figure out what that looks like and what it feels like. Thank you, Lord, that you have allotted a portion of ministry to each person in this room, to each person watching right now, and to each person who will watch later. And it is a portion that is so exciting. It is so beautiful. And it will require all of you and just our obedience. I pray for the people in this room that want to be used so mightily in the land right now. If that's you, all eyes closed, just raise your hand. He's saying, I want to be used so mightily in the land right now. Yes, God. You see each person here. And I pray, Lord, that you would would come and you would give them a path forward. Show them the position that you have for them right now. I pray for those that are experiencing the loss of something in their life, a person or a a job even or a confidant or a way of thinking, a paradigm right now. And you are filling that loss in the name of Jesus, both tangibly and also spiritually with yourself Your words are coming in right now. I pray for those that are experiencing that loss, that it wouldn't be swept under the rug, Lord, that you would actually address it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you know where we are, 
You know how much we want something, and you know how much we don't care. And even for those of us that don't care right now, as you in time, we pray, Lord, that you in time would light a fire in their spirit right now. Because without that fire, life is virtually meaningless. So we bless you, Lord, for this time. We thank you and praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.